0: God bless. Good morning, you guys. Glad you made it. It's good to be here with you. Uh, We are beginning a new series. We just left our series on wisdom through the book of Proverbs. And today we are starting Wisdom 2.0. And this morning I'm going to talk to you about Tootsie Roll Pops, Windows 95, Dollars and Pesos, Dog Whistles, Drowning, and Lord of the Rings. Okay, guys ready? So let's get started. You know, just finishing our series on wisdom through Proverbs, I hope that we began to understand that wisdom is a lot more than just the things that we know or the things that we believe It really is about having a healthy relationship with God, with people, and the world around us. And we saw that there is a lot of complexity to life. And so wisdom is needed to navigate through these things, that there isn't always a one-size-fits-all kind of prescription. You know, there used to be a commercial about how many licks does it take to get to the center of a Tootsie Roll Pop? And everyone remember how many? Three, right? The wise owl would take one, two, and crunch and eat it, and it would be three. It's like, well, if you bite on it on the third, then it only takes three, but sometimes it could take 100. It just depends on what you do with that Tootsie Roll Pop. And life is very similar to these things where there is complexity... And there is a fallacy in duplicity that things are just black and white. And if we see things in a simplistic way, we are not living in wisdom. And so just to recap, some of the things that brought this... To bear through the book of Proverbs. There was Proverbs 26, verses four and five, how we answer a fool. Do not answer a fool according to his folly, or you yourself will be just like him. But then the next verse says, Answer a fool according to his folly, or he will be wise in his own eyes. These two verses say two completely opposite things, and yet they're right next to each other. The writer was not foolish. The writer did this intentionally to show us the extremes that we have to live in between. We saw something similar with drinking, right? Proverbs chapter 20, verse 1 wine is a mocker and beer a brawler. Whoever is led astray by them is not wise. And then we saw the verse that is never found in your promise book. Give strong drink to the one who is perishing and wine to those in bitter distress. Let them drink and forget their poverty and remember their misery no more. There's a verse you don't read, right, every day. What's going on here? The writer's telling us these extremities of life how diverse things are. They're trying to bring again this understanding of how complex things are. Another thing is mentioned regarding wealth. We didn't cover it, but let's look at it in Proverbs 10, verse 15. A rich man's wealth is his strong city. The poverty of the poor is their ruin. In 1811, it says a rich man's wealth is his strong city and like a high wall in his imagination. So amazing, they start with the very same sentence and then they go in completely different directions. Why? Because there is never a simple explanation to these things, right? Proverbs doesn't even end with a kind of explanation. It doesn't say, well, here's what I mean. Sometimes this is true, and sometimes this is true. It just leaves it hanging so that we have to ponder and we have to engage these things. And it's not that these various words are contradicting. It's life is contradicting. Life throws things at us that It is difficult to decipher. And so sometimes I know when I throw these kinds of verses up, people get a little bit paranoid. Like, are are you discrediting the Bible? It's like, no, I'm just quoting the Bible. Right? The Bible, if you think in that way, is discrediting itself. Or there's something more going on and we need to think through it. And and that's exactly what we're trying to do. Right? Right? We are supposed to ponder these things. We're supposed to try and see how we navigate. We are supposed to inquire of wisdom. And here's the great news. Wisdom, she is available, right? According to the book of Proverbs, she is standing on the wall. She's inviting us to the table. She is calling out to us. She is embroidered into the fabric of creation, And this is important because as we move forward, we're wanting to understand how then do we inquire about this wisdom? How do we gain it? Where do we find it? And just again, to to refer to some things in Proverbs chapter 8, verses 23, it's actually to 34 or 31, I'm sorry. It says, I was formed, speaking of wisdom, long ages ago. At the very beginning, when the world came to be, when there were no water depths, I was given birth. When there were no springs overflowing with water, before the mountains were settled in place, before the hills, I was given birth. Before he made the world or its fields or any of the dust of the earth, I was there when he set the heavens in place When he marked out the horizon on the face of the deep, when he established the clouds above and fixed securely the foundations of the deep, when he gave the sea its boundaries so that the waters would not overstep his command, and when he marked out the foundations of the earth, then I was constantly at his side. I was filled with delight day after day, rejoicing always in his presence. I rejoicing in his world, and delighting in mankind. And so wisdom is saying that she was there from the very beginning before the creation. And there is a lot of correlation and similarities between what is expressed here in wisdom and what is expressed about Christ himself. Paul tells us at 1 Corinthians 1.24 that Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. In Colossians 1, verses 15 and 7, it says, The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. So in Proverbs we see that wisdom was given birth, and here we see that Christ is the firstborn of all creation. It is speaking of preeminence. It is speaking of authority, that Christ was there at the very beginning even as wisdom was there. We saw that wisdom was there before he, God, made the worlds. We know in John 1.10 that the world was made by him, speaking of Christ. So there is this strong and interesting correlation between wisdom and Christ, which brings us to this wisdom 2.0. There are times where I remember certain ads more than others, and for some reason, I remember Windows 95 because they presented it, I think, with the Rolling Stones songs started up, right? Because then you would go to the bottom and click start, and I remember that because I remember buying Windows 95 and thinking, oh, man, this is the greatest thing. Now, I since abandoned windows, and I'm a Mac guy, and so even Mac has had, you know, Sierra, High Sierra, and they've got El Capitan, and I think they have Catalina now or something like that. It's like always progressing, and so there is this presentation of something that is better. Something that is more. There is a change that is taking place. And where we've looked at wisdom and its complexity and having to navigate through life, there is a wisdom that I like to call gospel wisdom. It's almost a subversive wisdom. It's a wisdom that can be seen more clearly in Christ. And we're going to start with this story in Acts chapter 9. And we're going to look at the conversion of Saul. Saul. Because in this story, I believe we start to get a little glimpse of this wisdom 2.0, this gospel wisdom that we're going to spend a few weeks on. In Acts chapter 9, starting at verse 1, it says, Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogue in Damascus so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. Now we start off saying, okay, here is Saul and he's on mission. He's going to Damascus, and he's got the authority to take captive, arrest, and put to trial, and maybe even put to death these who are part of the way. And it says here that it was men and women, which is important to note because women were a very strong part of the beginning movement of Christ. Jesus appeared in the resurrection first to women. We know from different parts in the scripture in Luke chapter 8 that there was Joanna, the wife of Chusa, a manager of Herod's household who actually supported Jesus's ministry. And so the reason he was taking both men and women is because women were as much a part of this beginning movement and very much instrumental in it as the men. It also says that they belonged to the way. And that's what they referred to these followers of Jesus as those who belong to the way. Now, what an interesting thing to name it. Why would they call it the way? Well, it really was a way of living in their world. They were living differently in a way where they could notice. They saw them and how they were living, and they recognized these things differently, right? They were living pointing towards the kingdom of heaven as jesus talked about it they believed or didn't believe the lie of empire right where rome was part of this empire and this power and this control and what they were doing is trying to bring about a new understanding a new truth a new declaration of these things And so this way of living was gaining this momentum. That's why they would later be given the name Christians. Why? Because they looked so much like Jesus that they called him little Christ. Now, today, we give ourselves the name Christians. But remember, originally, others saw them and named them that. Why? Because of the way they lived. And this is why they started being called the people of the way. It was the way they conducted themselves, the truth that guided them, and the life they were living. The way, the truth, and the life looked like Jesus. And this way of living was attracting people. And so, so much so that it was a threat to those who were believing still in the power of empire and in a different way of thinking. And so those with traditional religious views like Saul were now threatened. And so they would breathe out in turn murderous threats to those who belonged to this way. Paul was a man of accomplishment. He was a man who was driven. And it wasn't enough that he believed in God in a particular way he had to see that others did too. And if they didn't, he needed to stop them. This is a type of understanding of the world that, again, these people were confronting because this is very egocentric, right? The ego needs opposition so that it can prove itself right. It needs enemies. It needs others to prop itself up. It is threatened when there are others who do not see or believe things the way they do. And we see this in our own world, right? We see this in politics. We see this in all the various denominations that are out there where one will believe one thing. And it is very important that they let everyone know that these other people are wrong. And we will spell out and give scripture and verse to all the things that they're wrong about. We all do this, right? Some people boast in their religious fundamentalism. This is how we believe. This is what we believe. And all these people are wrong. And then others boast in the opposite. They, they boast in the same way, but in their progressivism. Right, These people are wrong because of this, this, and this. And then we find people who agree with us and we talk about the people who don't because it makes us feel better because we're on the same team and they're on the wrong team. And this is such a part of our thinking that we don't even realize what it's doing to our relationships where Paul had people who believed that it was wrong for us to eat anything that was sacrificed to idols. And then there are other people who said, oh, it's just an idol. It doesn't matter. And Paul never said which way was right and which way was wrong. He said, got to learn to live together, guys. Well, tell us, Paul, what's right? What's wrong? Oh, that's not the point. The point is you need to not be so about the separation. And this is a different way of thinking. This is contrary. You see, if I feel threatened by someone else's point of view, how do I regain confidence in my point of view? Well, it's usually to put down their point of view. And this wisdom is finding something else, right? If you find your value in winning if you find your value in your beliefs, if you find your value in your party, if you find your value in your denomination, if you find your value in your job or your wealth or your accomplishments, if you find your value in any of these things, then you're playing the wrong game. You're you're not using this wisdom. If you need someone to lose so that you can win, then it's contrary to this gospel wisdom. And that's what's being confronted throughout Jesus's ministry. Your liberation to this way of thinking will always be a threat. These people who were part of the way, who were starting to live and act like Jesus, were a threat To those who were holding on to something else, wanting to hold on to power, wanting to hold on to their authority. And it goes on in verse 3, as he, Paul, or Saul here, near Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Now, the conversion of Saul is a historic event in Christian faith, and it's an important event for us to learn from. You know, the idea of conversion is very interesting. If you're going down to Mexico and you need to get some money, you have to convert the U.S. dollars into pesos, Right, and, and there's an exchange rate. You'll get this many pesos for this many dollars. And depending on where you go in the world, there is always this exchange where they have to convert this money into something that is useful. And the word confusion, conversion means confusion. The process of changing or causing something to change from one form to another. You see, there is a conversion that takes place with money, but there's a conversion that takes place with people where they change from one form to another. And here is a conversion of Saul that is going to be to Paul. And what's taking place here? I mean, if we break it down, there was a light. There was a question, actually two questions. There was the question saying, why are you persecuting me? And then Paul in good rabbinic fashion said, who are you, Lord? And then... There was the explanation and then basic instructions. And I found that this is kind of common in most conversions. There is uh, some point where things are illuminated, where you are aware of what you were not aware of before. There is an understanding where your mind is opened up to something that you didn't see before. And so there is this illumination of what is taking place and then you hear or are made aware of what you did not understand before. There is some change in the way you think. You're made aware, and then you start to think it through. There is the challenge of our lives. If there's going to be a transformation or a conversion, we have to see things different, we have to hear things different, and then we have to respond. There is an inquiring for us and a challenge to respond to the things that we now see, the things that we now understand. How then are we going to live? And this is what conversion looks like, right? That transformation where we're made aware of something and what do we do with that? And it's interesting because there is really almost this feeling of limbo here. There's blindness, there's questions, and then... There's go and wait. Wait, wait for what? Wait for how long? What's next? There is this ambiguity that's taking place where all he really knows is this is Jesus who he's been persecuted and Jesus tells him to go to the city and wait, doesn't tell him how long, doesn't tell him to wait for what and doesn't tell him what's going to happen next. There is this wait, there is this limbo. There is this lack of clarity, lack of instruction, lack of direction. And here coming from a man who was driven, who knew exactly what he was doing, exactly what he believed, exactly where he was going, was on mission, is now to a place where he doesn't know where he's going. He can't see. He's being led by others. He's actually blind. Paul would later write about himself and his certainty that he had before in Philippians chapter 3. He says, he was circumcised on the eighth day of the people of israel of the tribe of benjamin a hebrew of hebrews in regard to the law a pharisee as for zeal persecuting the church as for righteousness based in the law faultless this is who i was there was this kind of clarity this was my direction he knew exactly where he was and what was going on and then there isn't well now you're going to do this there is blindness there is leading there is waiting There was unfamiliarity. There were more questions than answers. There was more inactivity what to do than there was activity. He's actually being stripped of everything that he previously relied on. Everything that he thought gave him worth, gave him value. A Hebrew of Hebrews, a Pharisee blameless in the law, all these things that were of meaning to him and value for his identity are now taken away. And Saul had to see himself in the light of Christ, who Christ was, what he did and how he lived and how his followers represented him, the people of this way. He had to see things differently. But to see things differently, he first had to be withdrawn from where he was he had to change he had to wait and he had to be still i mean you think about a man who's heading into the city with conviction with purpose determination and now we have a man blind helpless being led and undetermined what he's going to do or what time it's going to take place Leaders now being led, and everything that would prop himself up was now taken away. And this is where it begins. It's also interesting that those who were with him didn't have the same encounter, right? They heard something, they knew something had happened, but there was no voice that they understood. You know, it's like having a dog whistle and you blow it and you can't hear anything, but the dog's head turns and goes, what's that? It's hearing something that is at a frequency that we can't discern. And so we don't understand or can't hear that. We we don't have the ability to attain that. And, and I wonder sometimes when God speaks, maybe the problem is we are just not listening. All right, have you have you ever maybe seen a person, maybe you you saw a child and you immediately realize that that child is concerned or, or worried and you go up to them and you find out that they're lost, right? You just see them standing and maybe the way they're looking and that you just, hey, are you okay? And then they start crying, I can't find my mom, right? Now there might be hundreds of people around them, but you were able to see what was going on and identified what was happening? Or maybe you see a person in an expression on their face and you say, Hey, are you okay? And then you find out, Well, no, I'm going through this. You are able to read something. Maybe there is something that we're able to pick up and understand that you are understanding because you are seeing things, because you are hearing things that maybe others aren't. How are we going to respond? right? That's what matters is how we respond to what we are made aware of. And here, Paul is made aware of, or Saul is made aware of, of what's going on. You're going the wrong way. Now, what's he going to do? How is he going to move forward? You see, and how do you take such a strong personality, someone who's so driven, someone who has learned, who knows what he believes, knows why he believes it, is able to Argue his point of view how do you get that person in that state of mind to understand that they are completely missing the point how do you change that kind of mind and and I want to know because what if I am like that what if my mind is so set and so blinded to what I really need to know how do I change how do I move from this place to this place you know, if a person is drowning, they are dangerous because they are fighting against being rescued. Sometimes we are our own worst enemies. God is trying to speak and we are so adamant in fighting against it because we have found security in the things that we hold on to, the beliefs that we hold, even if they're wrong. And we will kick to the nail to defend a position that sometimes... needs to be let go of. How do we move from that place to another? If we want transformation, we have to start with nothing. We have to begin, even as Paul did here, this emptiness, this limbo, these questions, that's where the real substance would be found is when he was stripped away from all the things false securities that he had so that God can bring in what is really going to give security. There is a failure of his mission, a loss of his sense of security. The grounding and confidence there is now a humiliation of having to be led into the city that he was originally triumphantly going into to arrest the heretics. And now he is going to become one of them. What moves a person from wanting to arrest heretics to become a heretic is a stripping away of all those things that he found strength in. The ego that he could take confidence in had to be taken away. And I think that's the truth with us. All he has now is the presence of where he's at. Everything he's leaned on is being eroded. See, to paint the masterpiece of what Paul's life would be, there had to first be a blank canvas. There had to be a removing of all the obstacles that would keep him from being who he wanted to be. You see, wisdom... Gospel wisdom is recognizing that there is a way that God wants us to live. And maybe there are some things that we are holding on to that are keeping us from becoming the people that we need to be. And the only way we can get there is to deal with what's going on in here. And God is shining the light and wisdom is speaking and calling out for us to hear. The gospel wisdom begins here. There has to be the death before there can be real life. And notice in this story that there's nothing about proper thinking. Paul is going to now have the right doctrine. He's going to be actually orthodox. There's nothing about his talents or abilities. There's nothing about his morality that he needed to, to change or to see right. There's nothing about his strength. All of that only props up the illusion that what is needed for security and life is us getting better. All that has to be washed away. Well, if I do this, well, if I believe this, well, if I act like this, if I do this, all these things are being taken away. And in his poverty of understanding, he begins to understand that if we start with nothing, then we can start anytime, anywhere. Where are you? What's going on in your life and in your situation? Do you realize that you can start right where you're at to move and to be converted in a whole new direction, right? Maybe you're struggling at work or struggling in relationships. My wife and I went to counseling and we plan on going to counseling. Why? Because sometimes we need to see things differently, but we have to realize we can. We have to realize that you can always change, that you can always grow, that what you need can happen right where you are. That you already have what is needed to begin. Do you realize that? That you have what is needed to change? What is that? That's where we're talking about. This new Way of thinking, you know. One of my favorite movies is Lord of the Rings. I think it's still the best trilogy that's out there. And the last one, The Return of the King, there's this scene, and you know, by now, if you haven't seen the movie, I, I'm sorry. I can Spoiler alert! You know, it's like you should have seen it by now. But in the last one. King Aragon, right? The, the man who, who helps conquer the forces, you know, uh, and fights and saves the Mordor and battles the orc and all those things. He's crowned king, and there's this big procession, and they're all standing there, and everyone's bowing down to him. And then he comes to the hobbits, Frodo, Sam, and his friends that are there, and they bow down to King Aragon. And he goes, Oh, my friends, my friends, you bow to no one. And I cry every time I see that. It's like, oh, that's so touching. It's just so powerful because there's such humility in so many ways. There are the hobbits who are just seeing themselves as low, don't realize that they saved all of Middle Earth. There's King Aragon who's looking just like, dude is looking dude. Like, I mean, he's just, man, he's the king and he's coming there and he goes, oh no, you don't bow to anyone. It's just this beautiful picture. And you see, that's, What we have in this gospel wisdom is this beautiful picture of those who are least likely. Those who have no qualifications are the ones who get to. Another famous story, the prodigal son. You guys know the story. There there are three characters in that story, right? There is the prodigal, the one who is wayward, who goes and squanders all that he has. There's the eldest son. And then there is the father. And they each have a representation of what they're doing, right? The prodigal is really the one who is wayward, the one who is lost, the one who does not know or care about the things of God, the one who is straying and wandering. There is the father who represents God, and then there is the oldest brother who represents Israel. Religious Israel who represents exactly what Saul was and one of the most interesting verses that Jesus portrays that gives words to the mouth of God are in luke fifteen thirty one to the oldest son to someone like Saul to someone who is religious and devout in their ways and seeing these upstarts coming in to the family and he says in Luke 15:31 my son the father said you are always with me and everything i have is yours let that sink in god is not telling Saul you're wrong All the things you're doing are wrong. What he's doing is telling him, you're always with me and everything I have is yours. Now, what that's doing is that's answering all those things that I had to do to get to you, right? It's dealing with all those implications of what I had to live the right way in order to get the right relationship so that God would be pleased with me. And here Jesus is saying, you were always with me. Everything I have is yours. Well, then when can I start? When when can I get to God? What do I have to do to come into the presence? And God would say to a, hey, listen. You're always with me. Everything I have is yours. That you are ready right now. That everything you need, you already have. God will fill in whatever is lacking. See, gospel means good news. Gospel wisdom is good news wisdom. It is helping us to see things in this different light. And so Paul would later say in the same passage in Philippians, whatever were gained to me, I now consider the loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I might gain Christ. Why would you consider all those things garbage? Were they all bad? They were bad and that they kept me from seeing what was good. They were bad because I was blind to how close God really was. They were bad because they were something that I could take ownership of and hold and I could use against others. When God was for the prodigal and is for me. The things you thought you needed were unnecessary. And what you really need is available to you right here, right now, just as you are. The wisdom of God, the gospel wisdom is available to every one of you right now, whatever you're going through in whatever situation you don't have to become someone else. In fact, you have to recognize that in your lack is where God meets you. It is that bankrupt spirit, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. What? This is where we start. We start with nothing. That's good. I got nothing. I got nothing. I'm ready. Right? I don't have anything to give. The other day, I left my wallet at home, and I needed gas, all right? And I was out in Woodland Hills. I was, you know, 50 miles away, and I had no gas, no money, no wallet. But I had my cell phone, and I had Apple Pay. I know Google has the same thing, but... I had what I needed. I went to a gas station. I went, ding, and I filled up and I was good to go. See, I didn't need what I thought I needed. I had what I needed. You have what you need. You're ready to go right now where you are. Gospel wisdom is what meets you in the blindness, the emptiness, the absence of ego. That's is when you're really found. People of the way, people of Christ, are people of the cross and of the resurrection. We believe life is found not in our striving to attain, but in our dying to ourselves and that trying to satisfy and be good enough. That resurrection, there is hope. That there is always hope. That there is always the chance for change. What is dead can be made alive by Christ. That's our hope. That's what resurrection life is all about. And so Paul would later write in Romans eight For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. If when I was an enemy, he was my friend. If He loved me while I was still a sinner. Where are you? What do I need to do? See, it changes how we see ourselves in relationship to God and relationship to the world. This is gospel. It is what Saul of Tarsus encountered on that road to Damascus. It was grace. And that transformed him. And it's what's transforming me. I'm always having to search my heart. I'm always having to deal with my ego. I'm always wanting to look at the things that I am holding on to that give me a sense of security. And I'm having to let go of those things. When people tell me, you know, I don't... Uh, believe what you believe, or I have a problem with the way you believe, or I I don't think you're right. I always struggle with, I got to prove myself right. I've got to prove that what I say is right. I've got to give the answers. I got to hold on to these things. And you know what? I just can't. I, I can't argue you to understand that I have nothing and I will not ever have enough to meet your needs or the needs in my own life or the needs of my wife or the needs of my kids. I do not have enough to give to you. I am bankrupt. But what I do have is a God that gives me grace and meets me where I'm at daily. And I am blindly Working my way towards him. I am a prodigal and I am an eldest son. Sometimes what the father tells me and he's telling you, everything I have is yours and it's always been yours. It's available to you right here, right now. I believe that. I hold on to that. It is my hope of resurrection. It is my hope that God can take me where I'm at and take me to where I need to be. And if you believe different, that's okay. I don't need to argue into my point of view. I just need to love you like God loves you. I need to care for you like God cares for you and God cares for me. That's all I can do. This trying to prove to everyone why I'm right and they're wrong, trying to find people who can validate my rightness has just got to stop. It's only putting walls between me and the people who God loves. I've been blinded and left questioning and found validation, not in what I do, not in what I know, but in that I am known and I am loved just as I am and so are you. Now let's talk. Let's walk. Let's be led. Let's live like Jesus lived. Let's understand that It is the way we conduct ourselves with one another. It is the truth of who God is and how God loves that guides us. And it is this life that we are living that brings us into the wisdom that God is wanting to give as we understand how to live with one another. Let's pray. Father, gospel wisdom starts here. It starts with nothing. It starts with us not having the ability to defend ourselves, prove ourselves, justify ourselves. It starts with us having nothing to offer and you offering us yourself. And I pray, Lord, that this would be a foundation that we can build on that this would be a freedom, a liberty that we are able to embrace. And Lord, I have been wrong in the past and I will be wrong in the future, but my validation isn't about if I'm right or if I'm wrong. It really is about you. And so I choose to start with nothing. I choose to start with my hands empty and open to you. I I choose to start leaning into your love for me. And my belief that that is enough. That this is the wisdom that's been woven into creation that we get to now engage in. It helps us understand that even through the complexities of life, there comes a place where we will never know the answer of what we need, but it's okay. We are still enough right where we are. Lord, I do pray for those who are here and are struggling with life and situations, those who are depressed because of their circumstances, those who are struggling with addictions and problems, those who feel that they are not enough can never be enough, those who have these issues overwhelming them. Lord, may they come to the place where they are able to erase all that they thought was required of them and start anew. May cross and resurrection be a part of their life today. May we die to trying to live to please you and others, and may we live in a newness of life that there is hope for us and our life tomorrow. God, we thank you for your goodness. For this good news, may we too be people of the way. Let's stand together. May you be blinded by the wisdom of God that seems foolish and the strength of God that is found in our weakness. May you understand that God is always with you Everything he has is yours. God bless you guys. Have a wonderful week. You have been listening to the Genesis podcast. We invite you to join us at one of our weekly gatherings. You can find more information at www.thegenesisstory.com